great. Good to see you today. Um, I don't know about you, but music is something that I have always loved. And there are particular songs that kind of speak to different moments in my life. You know, I remember the, you know, the, the first dance at my wedding. You know, the, the music that Kathy went down the aisle to. This is going back a few years now. Um, but it was just those little moments of songs that just speak to different moments in our lives. Um, and you may be able to think of songs that just speak to maybe the moment when, you know, you listen to something on the radio when you heard some news or something like that. Really important songs speak to different moments. Now, back in 2021, Rolling Stone magazine um, produced this whole list of like the 500 best songs of all time. So they gathered all sorts of experts and musicians journalists, producers, all these different things, and they came up with the 500 best songs of all time, which is quite hard to kind of do, isn't it? But on that list, there were things like The Beatles, Marvin Gaye, um, The Temptations, Nirvana, Stevie Wonder, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, all these different people. And number one was Aretha Franklin, Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Do you remember that song? A bit of a classic. You see, songs are timeless. Songs speak to us in ways that words simply cannot impact us in the same way. And it's why in the vineyard we love to sing our songs of worship. We've sung songs today. It's such an important part of how we, how we express our worship to God. We echo the historic songs of worship sung from generation to generation, songs that help us to remember, songs that express our gratitude, and songs that express our hurt and our lament, songs that find words and our melodies for our joy in life, but also for our brokenness, songs that somehow echo the cries of our own hearts and our prayers for those around us, and ultimately our praise to a creator God and his son Jesus who gave everything for you and me. This morning we're continuing our series that we've entitled Timeless, Songs of the Old Testament. If you've not been around the last few weeks, there are some really good talks that you can find on our YouTube page or on our uh, talks page online. So please, I'd urge you, go and have a listen to some of those. Um, and today we're back in 2 Chronicles, um, thinking about a God who fights for us. And so I'm going to read from uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 20 today. But I'd just love to really pray for us as we, as we look at this text together. So Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that even though this happened thousands of years ago, it speaks to us today. So would these words come alive to us? as we share them today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you've got a phone or a Bible or any other kind of device, why don't you open up with me and we're going to read um, 10 verses starting from verse 20 of chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord 
for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the, of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So this passage centers around King Jehoshaphat. Now Israel had many bad kings, but King Jehoshaphat was not one of those. We read a little bit later in the passage that he walked in the ways of his own father, and more importantly, of God. And yet despite following God, he still faced battles in his life. And it's the same for us. You know, sometimes I think we can fall into this idea that because we're following Jesus, we won't face battles. Yet our Bibles paint a different story. Our own life stories paint something different. We see in Scripture the battles faced by many of the kings of Judah and Israel. We see God's people taken off into captivity to Egypt, to Judah. We see the persecution of the early church. The famous apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he talked about a thorn in his side, something that was ongoing. He was constantly facing battles. You see, the reality of life is that we will all face trials. We all face hardships, and we all face battles. Sorry, I'm going to have a sip of water because I'm struggling this morning. The good news, though, is that we never have to fight these battles alone. In fact, the Bible talks about a God who actually fights our battles for us. So let's jump back to the text. And I just want to jump a little bit earlier in this passage, um, verse 1 of chapter 20. This is the scene that we see before us, that we, we kind of see into fruition. We see the battle taking place. But in verse 1 of chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is told that a vast army is coming against you. So you've got the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, which sounds to me like he's going to war against a bunch of fossils. And I apologize for that. Um, you see, Jehoshaphat is literally surrounded by his enemies. They had all come to wage war against Jehoshaphat. So this morning, I want to ask you, and maybe just ask in your own hearts, what are the battles that you are facing today? There may be all sorts of things that you're, you're experiencing right now. Jehoshaphat was facing off against the various ites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites, 
And Joyce Mayer, the, the um, Christian author, writes that for us, it's the, it's the fear-ites, the disease-ites, the poverty-ites, the bad marriage-ites, the stress-ites, the grouchy neighbor-ites, insecurity-ites, rejection-ites, and so on and so on. Has anyone faced any of those kind of battles lately? You know, we all face challenges in our life. But when it feels like we're surrounded by our enemies, when life gets tough and battles come, what do we do? How do we cope when, battles, when we have battles surrounding us? I love Jehoshaphat's response. And I just want to take a look at five ways that Jehoshaphat can teach us today about how we respond well to the battles that we face in life. So in those first couple of verses of chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is warned about this vast army coming. And the first thing he does is to simply come to the Lord. We read in verse 3. And he doesn't come on his own. He invites the, all the people of Judah to come with him. Jehoshaphat comes to the Lord and he brings that battle, that imminent battle to the Lord. And he places it in the Lord's hands. And I think if we're honest, we often find ourselves doing exactly the opposite of that. Rather than bringing our battles to the Lord, we try to deal with things in our own strength, don't we? Often we'll actually end up staying away from the people who love us when we're going through hard times. Perhaps even stay at home on a Sunday morning because we know there's people around who might ask us how we're doing. Maybe we find ourselves perhaps complaining to our closest friends or rant on social media about how unfair life is or some particular scenario is that we're going through. We need to learn to come to the Lord first, to bring him our worries, to bring him our brokenness, and to bring him our battles. Now, I love what Jehoshaphat does. In bringing the people together, he calls for a nationwide fast. These great armies are literally on their way towards them, and he tells everyone to stop, to pray, and to fast. That, that just sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? You know, they're, they're not, not sort of like, you know, sharpen your weapons and get, your, get yourself ready. He says, no, we're going to stop, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast. Fasting is probably one of those things that we, maybe we don't talk about enough. It's, it's that spiritual discipline of, of giving something up. You know, where we withhold something from ourselves. Maybe often that can be food, but that could be social media or TV or gaming or whatever it is that fills our time. And some of us are much better at it than me. I know that. When I look around this room, I know there are people that are much better at doing this than I am. But for myself, it's something I want and I'm trying to do more of. In some particularly difficult times for, for myself and for, for those that are closest to me, I've sought the Lord whilst going out without food for a set period of time. And you need to you know, work out whether that's a good thing for you to do or not and chat to your GP, that kind of thing. But there's something really powerful about giving stuff up in order to seek the Lord. Now, one of the most remarkable times in history, that in recent history, um, of prayer and fasting came at the end of, in the middle of World War II the biggest and, and deadliest war perhaps in history. And during those six years of war, there were many desperate times when it looked like things were not going to end the way things ended up going. And one such moment came in May 1940. 
the British and Allied armies found themselves with their backs to the sea at the, in the north of France and hemmed in by enemies on all sides. Both the Germans and indeed the leaders in Britain were convinced that the total destruction of the army was imminent. And Churchill was readying himself to announce to the public the capture or death of a third of a million soldiers. It would have been an unprecedented military catastrophe. And then on the 23rd of May, the king, King George VI, that's Queen Elizabeth's father, he initiated a national day of prayer for the following Sunday. And at that time, a decision was taken to evacuate as many of the Allied forces as possible late one Saturday evening. Then on the Sunday, the nation devoted itself to prayer in just the most unprecedented way. People flocked to places of worship. If we jump to that next slide, you'll see people queuing up outside cathedrals. Just remarkable scenes around this country. And as the people prayed, a request went out for boats of all sizes and shapes to cross the English Channel to rescue the army. Now, even before that day of prayer, some remarkable coincidences began happening. Have you ever noticed that when you pray, sometimes coincidences start to happen? Archbishop William Temple famously once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. So things that happen, like Hitler bizarrely called his army to a halt, which confused even his, his most staunchest um, allies. German tanks and soldiers didn't move for three days. And on the Tuesday, bad weather grounded German planes, which could have attacked those retreating troops. But by the Wednesday, the sea was extraordinarily calm, allowing 800 boats to evacuate the Allied troops. By the time the German army moved again, over 338,000 troops had been taken away from the beaches of Dunkirk many of which returned four years later to free Europe from the Nazis. In human terms, this should never have happened, but the miracle of Dunkirk, as it became known, turned the course of the war. And on the Sunday, the 9th of June, there was a national day of thanksgiving. Isn't that remarkable? How as the people, as our, our own, this country that we, we call home, turned itself to prayer and things turned around dramatically. You see, we need to get down on our knees and pray. And as, as we allow our hearts to break with the things that break his hearts, there may be things in your life, there may be things that you see in this world right now, and the only response is to get on our knees and to pray. Let's jump back to the text. You know, we, we see Jehoshaphat calling people of every town in Judah, men, women, and children, to seek help from the Lord. You see, when we're in a crisis, we are, we are often quick to hide ourselves away from the world, maybe worried about what people might think, worried that maybe we'll show some sign of emotion at the most awkward moments, or simply that people don't care. But time and again, we see in Scripture, and I've seen in my own life, how in moments of great trial, when we actually come together, we come to that realization that we are not on our own. We know that not only is the Lord with us, but there are people around us who love and care for us too. People who will pray, who will support us, even when we don't have the words and strength to do it for ourselves. 
And I love the, the small groups that we have in, in the life of our church. And I've seen people that even just in the last month or two have gone through really, really difficult times. And yet their small group had just rallied around them, made meals, prayed with them, stayed with them, just be with them, present. It's just incredible. So it's so important that we stay connected. And if you're not part of a group, go and chat to someone at the Connect area later. We'd love to help you connect with one. You see, Jehoshaphat prayed to God, and he, in that doing that, he recognizes God's power, and he acknowledges that in their own strength, they had no power to face the army that was descending upon them. Effectively, what he's saying is, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are going to be fixed on you. We put our hope and our faith in you. So Jehoshaphat then takes time to intentionally listen to the Lord. And so in verse 14, we see how God's people stand before him and the prophet of God, Jahaziel, I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells Jehoshaphat and the people, do not be afraid because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You see, do not be afraid or, or fear not is mentioned at least 365 times in the Bible. That's one for every day of the year. And even if that isn't true, that does kind of bring home the fact that we need to know that. I mean, how many of us feel fearful at different times? We need to know not to, be, not to fear because the Lord is with us. The army may be vast, but the battle is not yours, it's God's. How we need to hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of our own struggles. You know, I love the, the How to Hear God series we did a few months back. And, and what I loved particularly was how so many of us began to hear God more clearly. Or for some of us, even for the first time, knowing that he loves us and he's speaking to us. You see, God is speaking all the time. We just need to keep practicing, tuning ourselves in to hearing and recognizing his voice in the midst of all the things that go on in our lives, in the midst of all the noise around us. And then this passage draws us into these two verses that we read together, verses 21 and 22. As God's people come together, what do they do? They don't sharpen their, their swords. They worship the Lord together. Sing to the Lord and, to, and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. So as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. I love how it says they worship that their situation begins to shift. They may have hoped for a glorious victory, you know, brave warriors stepping out and wiping out the enemy, but God's idea of victory so often looks different from our own. This is a battle where the enemy literally wiped one another out. So whose was the victory? There was no denying whose the victory was. It was the Lord's. It couldn't have been them because they were just giving God the glory and the Lord did the work. So Jehoshaphat and the people worshipped the Lord together. And the message version tells us they praised God at the top of their lungs. They began to praise the Lord, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You see, our worship is a weapon. We worship and we see things change. And as they praised, the Lord delivered them. I mean, these are astonishing scenes, aren't they? 
And we see it repeated at different times through the Bible. Think of Gideon and other times with the people of Judah. As the people of Judah then sing their praises to God, that's when the enemies begin to attack themselves. His love endures forever. You see, they, they put their faith in the Lord, and that's something we need to do for ourselves. See, Jehoshaphat had told the people in a message that pretty much sums up the whole of the book of Chronicles, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. We can attempt to put our faith in all kinds of things in this world, but nothing stands the test of the time like the one who was there right at the beginning, the one who created this world, the one who made humankind in his own image. And even when we mess up so badly, he still comes back for us. He sends Jesus, his only son, for you and for me, knowing that his love endures forever. And finally, we need to be still and to allow the Lord to fight for us. And we see that in verse 29. How, you know, before, before we get to that, I just want to just speak to that idea. Why, why would God fight for me? You know, honestly, the more time we spend doing all the things I've just shared, I think, you know, about coming to the Lord, listening to him, worshipping and putting our faith in God, the more our own ways align with his. That's how we know when the Lord will fight for us, if we're doing the things that he is calling us to do. It doesn't mean that if we let God fight our battles, things will miraculously just go our own way. I don't think that's how God works, but we will begin to see how God is at work in and through us, fulfilling his purposes as we face our own battles. We see this incredible outcome for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. As they worship, they don't even lift a finger. The enemy fight and defeat themselves. You know, so often we try and win our own battles. We try and do it in our own strength. Perhaps there are times when we just need to make some smarter choices in life. But ultimately, I believe that the Lord wants to demonstrate his power in and through us. He's wanting to show us that he will fight for us. Verse 29 tells us that he fought the battle for the people of Judah. And we see that, like I said, just like happening in different times throughout the Bible. One such time, if we jump back to Exodus 14, verse 14, under Moses' leadership, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. You know, often our last inclination when we're facing a battle is to be still. Because if you stay still, you're asking yourself to be attacked, right? But God's ways are not our ways. I love Psalm 46 that just tells us that God is our refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble. And then it goes on to tell us in verse 10 to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, when we are still and we know that he is God, that's when the Lord fights for us. And so I just want to land with this this morning. When was the last time that you were truly still? When was the last time that your mind, your emotions, your spirit, your body was still in the presence of the Lord. I believe we need to learn to still ourselves in his presence, not to rush into battle, 
but to wait for him to fight that battle for us, to become a non-anxious presence in the world around us. That's when our battles are won, as we are still and we know that he is God.